Jesus said, You will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem, in all Judea and Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. When he had said this, as they were watching, he was lifted up, and a cloud took him out of their sight. Please pray with me. Dear Father in heaven, we ask you to be here with us in this place this morning, and we trust that you have kept your promise and are here. May my words now be your words, and all of our thoughts your thoughts. We ask all of this in Jesus' name. Amen. Please be seated. Today we celebrate the Feast of the Ascension. The day the church sets aside to remember Jesus' post-resurrection ascension, his being lifted up into heaven, his very last moments on earth with his disciples. Now, actually, ascension proper was Thursday of last week. It's actually always on a Thursday, 40 days after Easter, but the so-called major feasts are actually movable on the church calendar. So if a church wants to shift them and celebrate them on a Sunday, they can. And that's what we've done. We're celebrating the Feast of the Ascension today. But why is the Ascension a major feast anyway? In fact, several European countries like Denmark, Sweden, the Netherlands, France, and Germany. Ascension Day is a federal holiday. But why? What exactly is the big deal? I mean, it's certainly an obvious transition point, right? The moment when Jesus goes from being on earth to being at the right hand of the Father. But that sort of had to happen at some point. What exactly are we celebrating at the Ascension? Because there's this moment in the Eucharistic prayer that I say every week, right, when I talk about how we, Christ's humble servants, have come together to remember his blessed passion and precious death, his mighty resurrection and glorious ascension, and his promise to come again. And it always kind of seemed to me that his glorious ascension was a little bit out of place on that list. And was it really so glorious? I mean, we talk a lot about his passion, death, and resurrection, right? Those are the things that are directly involved in our salvation, our justification. At the cross, our sins are imputed to Jesus, and his righteousness is imputed, given to us. He becomes sin so that we might become the righteousness of God, as Paul puts it in 2 Corinthians 5. And Holy Week, when we remember those mighty acts is the most somber and joyous time of the church year. It's when we celebrate the good news that on Christ's account, we are redeemed. We are made new. And then Jesus is coming again. Well, that's when all of this, when all things will be made new. A new heaven and a new earth will be inaugurated and the eternal heavenly Banquet, the wedding feast of Christ and his church, will begin. But sandwiched in there, and easily overlooked, at least to me, his glorious ascension. So, what are we celebrating? Why is this a major feast of the church? What, after all, is so glorious? But in truth, Christ's ascension is 
glorious. It is worth celebrating. This is why we have moved it to a Sunday and are paying it special attention. So this morning I'd like to draw your attention to two glorious things that we are celebrating as we look at two pieces of scripture to help us understand the fullness of what is happening in Acts chapter 1 as Jesus is lifted up into heaven. First, we're going to look at John chapter 14 and see that one thing we're celebrating today is Jesus is going to prepare a place for us in his father's house. He ascends so that we can follow him. That's worth celebrating. And second, we'll look at Hebrews chapter 7, and see that we're also celebrating that Jesus is continuing to intercede for us before the Father, even now. He ascends so that he can, in a sense, continually defend us in the throne room of a holy and almighty God. That's worth celebrating, too. And we'll see that both of those things point directly to the good news the gospel of Jesus Christ for sinners like you and me. So let's begin in John chapter 14. We are in this passage at the Last Supper, and Jesus is telling his disciples at the exact moment when they expect him to announce his plan to ascend to Israel's earthly throne, that he's going to go away from them, and that they're not going to be able to go with him. They're not going to be able to follow him, at least not right away. He does say, though, that they will join him eventually, and he says that they'll be able to do that because they know the way. And Thomas pipes up and says, Lord, we do not know where you are going. How can we know the way? And this is when Jesus says those familiar and comforting words to Thomas And through him to us, I am the way, our Savior promises, and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. But what I want to call your attention to this morning in this passage is that Jesus has, in fact, already described something of the place to which he's going. In John chapter 14, beginning in verse 1. Now remember, Jesus has just finished telling them at the end of chapter 13 that they're all going to abandon him. In fact, chapter 13 ends with Jesus looking Peter in the eye. Peter, who has just said that despite Jesus' claim, he, Peter, will in fact follow him wherever he's going, even if it means he must die. Jesus looks Peter in the eye and tells him that his faithfulness won't even extend until daybreak the next morning. Before the rooster crows, Peter will deny Jesus three times. You can imagine the restlessness, the discontent in that room, the troubled hearts. But now, John 14 and verse 1, Jesus offers a comforting word. Let not your hearts be troubled. Believe in God. Believe also in me. In my Father's house are many rooms. If it were not so, would I have told you that I go to prepare a place for you? And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and take you to myself, that where I am, you may be also. 
This is the first thing that we are celebrating today at the Feast of the Ascension. Jesus has kept his promise and has gone ahead of us. And what is he doing? Well, he's not just blazing a trail that we are supposed to follow. He's actually going to prepare a place for us, a home. And it's a big group he's preparing a place for too, isn't it? The whole church gathered throughout time and space. And this sort of planning for a big group outing always gives me a lot of stress. Whenever I go out to eat with a big group, I always worry about the restaurant. Are they going to be okay with this number of people? Are they going to turn us away? I even worry when we have a reservation. Did the person I called write it down correctly? Maybe they got the wrong day or the wrong number of people. Is this thing really going to work out? So what I do is I always try to finagle it so that I'm not part of the first group to arrive. I'll get in the car that's going to arrive second or third. And if I'm driving, maybe I'll need to stop and get gas real quick. Someone else can have that first awkward conversation with the hostess. I even do this when it's just my own family. You see, people think that I'm being a gentleman when I hold the door open for my wife, but it's really just so that she'll get to the hostess stand first. That way, when the inevitable problems arise, they'll arise for her. I'm a real catch, right? But there is good news for people like me, nervous that something might not work out. People who are nervous on a cosmic scale, that there might be some kind of complication at the pearly gates. People whose hearts are troubled, worried that our names might not be on the list. As part of our communion prayer this week, a special edition for the Feast of the Ascension that references John 14. As we approach our feast, I'll offer thanksgiving to God who created heaven and earth through Jesus Christ who after his most glorious resurrection appeared to his apostles and in their sight ascended into heaven to prepare a place for us, that where he is, there we might also ascend and reign with him in glory. When we arrive at our Father's house, when we stand before the throne of Almighty God, there will be no problems. No complications. Everything will have been taken care of. We will have Jesus Christ, God's own perfectly righteous son, standing there at the heavenly equivalent of the hostess stand, welcoming us in. Everything will be prepared. Our room is ready. Food is hot and on the table. A place is set for us. We are expected. God himself has made sure of it. And Jesus' ascension is what makes it possible. We can go home because Jesus is already there. The second thing that we are celebrating this morning is found in Hebrews chapter 7. There we are given a picture of Jesus' continuing ministry before the Father in the heavenly places, comparing him to the priests of the Old Testament. The former priests were many in number, we read, 
because they were prevented by death from continuing in office. But he, Jesus, holds his priesthood permanently because he continues forever. Consequently, he is able to save to the uttermost those who draw near to God through him since he always lives to make intercession for them. For it was indeed fitting that we should have such a high priest, holy, innocent, unstained, separated from sinners, and exalted above the heavens. He has no need like those high priests to offer sacrifice daily, first for his own sins and then for those of the people, since he did this once for all when he offered up himself. This is the second thing that we are celebrating on Ascension Day. Jesus is still at work, interceding for us even now. He holds his priesthood permanently because he continues forever. Consequently, he is able to save to the uttermost those who draw near to God through him, since he always lives to make intercession for them. Do you hear this? Jesus always lives to make intercession for you. This is actually amazing and a real comfort to those of us who live in this place now, all these years after Jesus' passion, death, and resurrection. Those mighty acts, mighty as they were, can tend for some of us to get lost in the mists of history. Can they really still have ongoing impact now? They took place so long ago and so far away. Do they really mean anything for us today? The answer, of course, is yes. They absolutely do. The scriptures are clear. Jesus' sacrifice is sufficient for your sins and the sins of the whole world, offered once for all. He has no need, we read in Hebrews, like those high priests to offer sacrifices daily for his own sins and those of the people. He did this once when he offered himself for all. Once for all. And yet even so, the implication here in Hebrews 7 is that Jesus is still at work for you. Now don't get confused. Jesus' work is complete. When he announced that it is finished... From the cross, he meant it and nothing less. He is seated at the right hand of the Father because his work is done. Remember that there was no chair in ancient Israel's temple because their priest's labor was never finished. Christ, our great high priest, can sit at his Father's right hand in the heavenly temple because there is nothing left for him to do. Your salvation is and justification are accomplished in him. And yet somehow, it makes sense in God's economy to say that he is still doing his finished work. His flesh and blood still being offered for us. What is past tense, finished work, completed forever on a criminal's cross thousands of years ago, is brought into the present tense by Christ's ascension. As Hebrews says, he always lives to intercede for us. In my friend Zach Hicks's song, Before the Father, which we're going to hear as our offertory anthem here in a few minutes, he writes, 
Before the Father, with all our sin laid bare, Jesus pleads his goodness for us. Before the Father, we have no good to share. Jesus pleads his goodness for us. But Hicks also writes, The death of Christ has paid our price. It is enough. It is enough. The life of Christ is now our life. It is enough. It is enough. Both are true at the same time. Jesus pleads for you now. And Jesus' work for you is finished. And enough. Forever. This, in a sense, ongoing finished work of Christ, His intercession before the Father for us, This is good news because it is connected. It cannot help but be connected because it is the same finished work. It's connected to those mighty acts of intercession that Jesus performed at Calvary. He came between Almighty God and sinful humans. But not just some generic category of sinful humans. He came between a holy God and your sinful life. At the end of our Good Friday worship service, as we are in the very midst of those mighty acts, Jesus has suffered and died, but not yet risen and ascended. As we close our Good Friday worship, I pray this prayer on our behalf. Lord Jesus Christ, Son of the living God, we pray you to set your passion, cross, and death between your judgment and our souls, now and in the hour of our death. Give mercy and grace to the living, peace and rest to the dead, to your holy church, unity and concord, and to us sinners, everlasting life and glory. For with the Father and the Holy Spirit, you live and reign, one God, now and forever. Amen. And in praying that prayer, we are asking Jesus to intercede for us, to come between God's judgment and our souls. We need it now, we need it in the hour of our death, and we need it every hour in the meantime. Thank God that his blameless son, Jesus Christ, after his passion, death, and resurrection, ascended to the Father's right hand, to prepare a place for us. Thank God that he is seated there right now, continuing to plead his body and blood, broken and shed for us, interceding for us before the Father's glory. Thank God that his finished work is still working in the present tense for sinners like you and me, even today, right now. And so we sinners celebrate. There's a reason we call this the Feast of the Ascension. Come and celebrate with us. Reaffirm your faith in the Creed and then come to the Feast at His table. Celebrate that Jesus has gone ahead to prepare a place for you, welcoming you into your Father's house and to His banquet. Celebrate His ongoing and finished work for you, His accomplishment on the cross and his continued intercession on your behalf before the Father. Remember his blessed passion, 
and precious death, his mighty resurrection and glorious ascension, and his promise to come again. Celebrate the good news that in Christ your sins can be forgiven. In Christ you can live forever. In Christ you can be at home. Amen.